commandments. Do you love God's Word? His descendants, this is the promises, His descendants will be mighty on earth. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches will be in His house, and His righteousness endures forever. Unto the upright there arises light in the darkness. He is gracious, full of compassion, and righteous. A good man deals graciously in lens. He will guide his affairs with discretion. Surely he will never be shaken. The righteous will be in everlasting remembrance. He will, I love this line, He will not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. That's who we trust in. Amen. There's no salvation anywhere else except in the Lord. Say it with me. Some trust in chariots and horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord. Give Him praise this morning. Hey, let's give the Lord some praise this morning. He's worthy. Lord, we thank You for Your love and mercy. We thank You more than anything for these salvations You've been doing. Lord, You are the one that saves. We're thankful, Lord, that You are faithful in all things, Lord. Make us faithful like You're faithful. Help us to be faithful to You, Lord, in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. You may be seated. Children's church is dismissed to the next building. We also have a nursery over there. Uh, if you want to be a, take your child to the nursery. When I read the scripture, especially the things that are in red, what Jesus said, I just get this sense that he's a little more serious about this than we are. I throw myself in there too. It's easy to get watered down and to be distracted and to make life about you and your stuff and not keep Jesus in front. Jesus, I know the world and most, half the church now don't talk about hell any, but he talked about hell Twice as much as he talked about heaven. Serious business to Jesus. In fact, he said in one place, it's better to pluck your eye out, cut your hand off, or cut your foot off, and make it to heaven than it is to go to hell. That's pretty serious, isn't it? When you say something like that, you must know how bad it really is. And so Jesus is pretty serious about the things that he talks about to us and that's why I want to take us back. I'm, I've been just continuing to dig and study on this. But the, uh, the Greek word, one of the main Greek words that we uh, use to what we developed the church from is kyriakon. And you all, you probably see this board two more times. And then I'm going to try to... Get, teach an old dog new tricks I try to write to where to show up on the screen but kyriakon is the word that's used along with ecclesia where we got our word church in the English language now this word church came to us most likely from the Germans they they called it kirch and actually because if you know if you've been around any of the earliest established religious sects in America German was a big language they used, and so it was called Kirch a little bit in, in America before we started calling it church. We changed the, uh, the CH sound. But the Scottish called it Kirk, the Germans called it Kirch, and now we call it church. And this uh, word here is the biggest part of that meaning of church, Kyriakon. It's a Greek word. That means belonging to the Lord. Now, don't you let that settle down in you just for a minute. If you're a part of the body of Christ, what we call the church, and I know it's been used so casual and loosely now, the church has been viewed as buildings, it's been viewed as just a conglomeration of people who sit in certain seats, but really the word church, if it's got its specific definition, is people who belong to the Lord, and, and the word ecclesia 
is out-called ones. That's what it means. People who've been called out. Now, what does he do? He calls us out of darkness into the light, gives us salvation. We call ourselves Christians, saved, redeemed, born again, whatever language you use. But there's been a conversion, right? The conversion has brought us from the darkness into the light. We've got plenty of good lights in here now. And uh, into the light. Now, what, what we're saying when we say we're saved, we're born again, we're a Christian, we're redeemed, what we're saying when we use that terminology or what we should be saying is that we belong to the Lord and we exist for His purposes first. That's what it means to be a Christian. We belong to the Lord and we exist, we've been called out, and we exist for His purposes first. All right? Let me read you a little bit of Scripture here. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 1. And let's read some ownership passages here that the Lord has laid on those who follow Him. In 1 Peter chapter 1, let's look at verse 17. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17. It says, And if you call on the Father, 1 Peter 1 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17. And if you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, so there'll be no, no partiality when we stand before the Lord, either at the Bema seat or if you miss heaven at the great white throne. No partiality. Conduct yourselves. He says, knowing that there's no partiality, you don't get to buy, uh, buy up tickets to get off the hook there's no partiality he says knowing this conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear and that kind of language is important because what the holy spirit's doing here through the apostle peter is letting us know this is just a moment in time james says it's like a vapor right that the life is really like a vapor. And if you're over 50, you know that, right? It's like, bam, you turn around and there you are, right? I can't believe I'm closer to 60 than I am 50. How did that happen? Of course, I almost missed not getting there at all, right? But it says uh, uh, he, he bought, he, that the Lord does not use partiality, and he tells us to conduct our time here, the time we're passing through, and Paul talks about that in Hebrews. We're just pilgrims passing through to do that in fear. Now, the biblical fear is to reverence the one with the authority, right? I wasn't afraid of my father growing up, but I reverenced him because I knew he had a strong hand. And sometimes I felt that strong hand. So I reverenced him. I did not want to do things outside of his jurisdiction. And when I did, I received the just recompense of the reward but it wasn't a reward really knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things so you didn't just get bought out of the pawn shop you didn't get bargained for over what your worth was or my worth was because we had no value in ourselves but God sent his son in the fullness of time you know the story it's the gospel and died in our place so that we could be redeemed, with, not with corruptible things like silver or gold. And that's funny that the Bible points those things out as corruptible, right? They're just, they're not worth you getting all bent out of shape over. You don't have any promise of tomorrow. You may have a bunch of gold stacked up for tomorrow. You don't have the promise of tomorrow. He says, from your aimless conduct, he says, we've not been redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold. From our, we should say ours, he's talking to us, our aimless conduct received by tradition from our fathers, this nature of the flesh and even the religious side that doesn't have Jesus as its centerpiece. But with the precious blood of Christ, as a lamb without blemish, without spot, he indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. 
So we weren't redeemed or bought or purchased with corruptible things, things that fade away and things that really have no value in the sense of eternity. You know what they do with gold in heaven? They put it in pavers. They melt it down and they pave the street with it. That ought to say something to us, right? He says, uh, he says, since you have purified your souls in doing what? In obeying the truth. Now that's a Christian. A Christian obeys the truth when everybody else around them don't. Did I just say that? And I didn't get one amen. I'm going to say it again. Since you, I, I'm going to take up an offering in a minute if you don't. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth, a Christian obeys the truth. That's what we do. And, and, and I want to explain this again because there's a difference between truth and facts. Right? Facts can change. If you keep up with the world records, you know that somebody can break a record. Right? You, if you live in Kentucky, you know the fact of the weather changes like every day. Right? One day it's like living in South Carolina. The next day it's like living in North Dakota. But these facts can change. Truth never changes because truth is a person. If you see a story in the news, there's facts about that. How many times have we watched the so-called facts come out and realize that weren't, they weren't the facts? But when we're talking about truth, we're talking about a person. We're talking about Jesus the Christ. He never changes. That's good news for all of us. He never changes. Trying to hit a moving target is difficult. The Lord never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So Jesus Christ is the truth. If you want to stand somewhere, stand with Him. Because how we're going to be judged, what we're going to be judged by, the commandments and the laws and the rules have never changed. And they're never going to change. So if you want to be found standing when all this is over, stand with Jesus. Can somebody give Him praise? So then he says, he says, since you purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, that's capitalized, the Holy Spirit, and sincere love of the brethren, that's one characteristic we see, sincere love for the brethren. Not love that just wants to get close to somebody to sell them Amway. The, the several generations didn't understand that, right? How about Avon? <laughs> How about Mary Kay? Something. Just get close to these people so you can sell them something. Sincere love, love of the brethren, love of one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of, he, he reiterates this, right? Not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible seed, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever, because all flesh, all flesh is as grass, all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls away, but the word of the Lord stands forever. God's word endures forever. You need to build everything in your life on God's Word. Yes, everything. I don't care if you have a business. I don't care what it is, relationship with your wife, your children, your co-workers, your neighbors, your church family. Build it all on the Word of God. When we first started this, and this is the thing we're working on with the satellite, we started in Philippians in the armory. We, we hammered through Philippians. Because when you read Philippians, when you're starting a work, you need to build everything around the gospel. And if you read Philippians, you might want to go back and reread that because everything Paul was promoting in there, he brought it all back to the gospel. Even if it was fellowship, he said, let's do it in the gospel. Whenever we speak, let's speak as of the oracles of God. So everything should be centered around the gospel. My life, your life, all of that should be centered around the gospel. And, and whatever we do, we should never put God second in anything. Not in relationships, not in our money, not in our stuff, not anything. God should be first in everything. That's how this is designed. And he said, you, we've not been redeemed by corruptible things, but by the precious blood of the Lamb. And this Word of God that we're standing on, that should be the guide for all of our lives, for everything we do personally, everything we do as a family, everything we do as a church or a church, however you want to say that, if you're German this morning, everything we do, you didn't know I could preach in a race at the same time, did you? Everything we do should be centered around the gospel. Now, here's what happens. The Word of God should trump everything. My wife will tell you this. When we got married, 
I, I, we sat down and talked before we got married, and we, we made some guidelines for our own personal relationship, like how we would treat one another, that God's Word. But one of the things we said, I told her I was, I was in the coal mines at the time. I said, there's a good chance I'm going to be in full-time ministry at some point because the Lord's calling. It's just not the season yet. And I made sure she was okay with going to Alaska if that's where God called us. And she was. I don't know if she would still go. I think she would. <laughs> but one of the things we said that no matter where we came to in a situation, God's Word would always have the last say. If it was her side of the family, my side of the family, whatever. Us in the middle of something ourselves, that God's Word would always trump anybody's feelings, anybody's grandmother, or anything. It would always trump it. Let me give you young folks a piece of advice. When you get married, if there's trouble coming from your side, you take care of it. In other words, if you get trouble uh, from the wife's side, let the wife take care of it. They'll get over being mad at her, but they want the son-in-law. And vice versa. You take care of it. Step up to the plate. That's just some good advice I'm trying to hand off. That was free. Didn't cost you a thing. <clears throat> so now God's Word is the objective. I'm going to use a tool that, that actually probably every organization uses, uh, or they should, is that there are objectives for every organization. Right here they are for us as believers, as Christians. The challenge, because we have an adversary and a deceiver, he wants us to become subjective about things, right? And that's how this whole mess got started off, right? He went into the garden. God had already said. He gave his directives, right? And when Satan slithered in the garden, which he probably wasn't slithering in, but when the serpent come in the garden before he wound up crawling on his belly, however he was hanging out, he came in the garden and Satan used the serpent, spoke to Eve, and he started challenging the objectives or the directives that had been set forth by the Creator and God, who is the Creator. Now, that's how the devil, if you be honest, that's how he works on all of us. He wants us to start being subjective toward things of God, all right? So when you get ready to go to church, when you get ready to commit to the body, whatever you do, the devil don't want you. Who do you think don't want you committed? I'm going to tell you something. If you don't want to be a part of God's kingdom, the devil will give you excuses. He is good at that. You can find an excuse not to be a part of God's body anytime you want. Satan will be good. He loves for us to become subjective. And that's what he started doing on Eve. He started working on Eve. And when he started working on Eve, he challenged the objectives of God, the commands of God, what we would call the objectives if we we're looking at an organization. This is what God requires. This is what he's, he's after. And then the devil come in and started being subjective. And he started, instead of Eve, now here's what happens to all of us when the devil comes around. He started getting, instead of Eve, focusing on the objectives of God, on the Word of God, on the truth, he starts getting her to be subjective. And he actually gets her to focus on herself instead of God. And that's how this whole mess got started. He started pitting her against God, right? He said, God don't want you to eat of that tree. Now, what did God say not for him to eat? He said, I don't want you to eat of that tree because you'll die. That sounds like a good God to me. If somebody said, don't eat that, it'll cause you to die. I th I, thanks for the heads up. Right? I'm not eating that pumpkin pie. Somebody's trying to kill me. Right? And so the objective was, God said, you eat this tree, you die. Now let me say a little bit about God. He's a good guy. But He risked so much by creating us. You know that? Because when He created us, He gave us one of these, a wheel. And man, oh man, I'm like the old time preacher said, if we knew what that will was all about, we'd have tried to give it back to God. God gave us a will. We're the uniqueness of His creation. We are the height of His creation. God gave us a will, knowing that He was risking that we would sin instead of trust. But God so desired relationship. See, if you don't have a will... You don't make choices. You're a robot. 
But God wanted us to choose Him, right? That's why He gave us... Because if you don't choose God, there's no relationship there. You've been forced into it. And that's how some people feel in some religions and, and quite frankly, some denominations. They feel like they've been forced into that. That's not relationship. God calls you and I sons and daughters. He wants you and I to have a personal relationship. So He gives you the ability to choose. God gave us a will desiring that we would choose to trust Him knowing that most people would choose to do their own thing in sin. That's where we're at. And this all started because in the garden they chose to be subjective instead of hanging on to the objectives of God. And he told them they die. They didn't. They they bought into that. He actually said to Eve. He said he he twisted it all. Right. That's how the devil worked. He said if you eat that fruit, God knows you're going to be like Him. Well, that was His desire. Now, no, when you're sinning, you're helping fuel the devil's desire. I'll give you one example, and this ought to make you sick. The Bible says the devil is the father of all lies. You know what it means when we tell a lie? It means we've been impregnated with Satan's seed. That's as plain as I can be without getting any plainer. That ought to make us all sick. That's how God views a lie. And so he come in total lie, what was Satan's desire? We read about it in Isaiah, right? He wanted to be like God. So he's trying to get Eve to buy into his lie that cost him getting kicked out of heaven. And she bought. And then she got Adam to buy. And all of a sudden, they're, they're kicked out of the garden because they went against God's objectives, right? They became subjective. That's how this whole thing still works. The devil gets us to see something and water it down and, and like it's not really that big of a deal. So this word, kyriakon, that I erased, it means belonging to the Lord. Now let's go to um, Psalm 128. Let me show you something else here about those who fear the Lord. In Psalm 128, there's a passage here. That caught my attention when I was studying about those of us who belong to the Lord. Blessed, in verse 1 says, Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in His ways. There's His word. There's His objectives. There's His commandments. The people who fear the Lord walk. When you eat the labor of your hands, you shall be happy, and it shall be well with you. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine in the very heart of your house. Your children like olive plants all around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. Live your life honoring God personally and let that begin to spread out into your family tree. And then he says, Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you out of Zion and may you see the good of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Yes, may, your, may you see your children's children, shalom or peace be upon Israel. This is somebody who fears God, who understands who God is, understands He's the final judge in all of our lives. Even the atheists will have to stand before God. And He won't be able to say, you're a figment of my imagination. Big white throne sitting there. He ain't going to do it. He, even every one of us will stand before God and give an account of ourselves. Now, let me take you to Matthew 16. In Matthew 16, Jesus gives us a little ownership here. He talks to us. <clears throat> this is a familiar passage to all of us. In Matthew 16, verse 13, talking about the church, the ecclesia, the kyriakon that makes the church, you and I who are believers, verse 13 says... When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I am, the Son of Man am? Who do men say that I, the Son of Man am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Now that's the question. All of us need to answer that question. Who do you say the Lord is? 
Do you say the Lord is somebody you heard somebody else say? What is He to you personally? That's all that really matters. And so they're, they're giving Him all these uh, titles and people they say He is. But He says, who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said to him, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Is that real to you this morning? Those of you that are watching us around the globe or get this podcast, is that real to you this morning? Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Have you taken your will and surrendered it and made God first in every facet of your life? Is He in front of everything else? Does everything in your life start with God? That's what we call the church, the true church. He says, you are the Christ. And Jesus answered, said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, there's some confusion there that has run through some specific denominations and churches that he was talking about Peter, that he was going to build his church on Peter. Jesus ain't building nothing on no man. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is building His church on the revelation of who He is. Those are the people who are in the church. They may be in church buildings all over the world this morning and started eight hours ago. However many hours, some of them are ahead of us. Church buildings all over with bodies in them. Bodies, breathing bodies. But the true church is the ones who recognize that Jesus is the Christ and that He's the only way to get to the Father, and they've embraced that. That's the church. Those who say, yes, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I belong to the Lord. That's the true church. Not some, amen. Not somebody who dressed themselves up or went to a certain building or did some kind of religious rite this morning, but those people who get up, not just on Sunday, but get up on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday and Sunday and say, I belong to the Lord. I'm not ashamed to be called one of His children. I exist. He is first in my life. He's before my husband. He's before my wife. He's before my children. He's before my job. He's first in my life in everything. You think about it. The church has gotten so far away over time. If you come to church here twice a week to a Bible study, you may spend three three hours with people in the kingdom. We, we're, here's the problem. The church got so messed up that people started valuing the church in terms of what it could do for them instead of being a servant saying, what can we do for the Lord? If you're not here, it may not be just you missing out, somebody you needed to speak to. Think about how the church started in this country years ago. We've gotten so far now that we barely hang out with our families. I'm not talking about your immediate family. So we are called to be the body. We're called to put Him first. We're called to make sure that He's first in our life. The body of the church, we are the living, breathing, those who belong to the Lord that exists. Now notice, that exists for His purposes. That's the problem. That's where the church has run into so many problems. Because we don't exist for God's purposes. We live our lives subjectively, and we just hang out with God whenever we ain't got nothing else to do. And I'm not saying that fits you. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying the church as a whole, the culture we live in now. I read an article this, this morning that was so astounding. The, the people that take the polls about church attenders, now let me tell you what one of their measures are. Who goes to church once or twice a month? That's how they're measuring church attendance now. Who goes to church once or twice a month? They measure, that's what they, this article was measuring how well the church was doing by the people showing up once or twice a month. It just made me feel like my whole face dropped. I thought, we don't value your stuff. We don't value who you are. We don't value the things you value. Let me tell you what God values in this world. Turn around and look at somebody that's breathing. That's it. I got news for you. I'm going to hate to burst your bubble, 
but everything in your house is going to burn to the ground. Every family heirloom, all of that is gone. When the Lord, when the Lord comes back and there's be a new heaven, new earth, this building, <clears throat> I was hoping he'd let us get it finished first, but if he don't, I'm all good with that. Every, can you imagine that? We get this church, we move into this new setting two weeks from now, and the Lord comes back Monday. <laughs> Done all this work and gone just like that. But that's how it's going to be. So God, is He wants us to value. It's okay with having those, but put them down the list. Put them down the list. Your son or daughter is not more important than God. I just said that. Your spouse is not more important than God. Your job and your money is not more important to God. Turn loose to some of it. This kingdom is built on eternal principles, and everything we see, including church buildings, are not going to be no more. So where is the real church? It's not this building. It's not this piece of property. The real church is those who belong to the Lord and exist for Him first. That's the true church. Amen. So Jesus says here, he goes on to say, he says, flesh and blood's not revealed this to you, but his father. Also, I say to you, I'm going to build my uh, church uh, on the rock. I will build my church, the revelation of who he is. And the gates of Hades or hell will not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. I will give you the keys. He said, I will build my church. Church. Now, this word church is not Kyriakon, it's ecclesia. Think about this. When you get ecclesia, again, these religious words we got around here, baptized, none of those were religious words. They were just words. And over time, we borrowed them or used them enough where the world just said, we don't want anything just like the word Bible. The Bible was just a common word, a conglomeration of facts about a particular subject. But the Bible, what separated the Bible that we use from the other was that we had holy in front of it. It's God's Word. But now, you don't have to do that. You don't even have to distinguish your Bible like that anymore because the world gave us that Word, right? They just said, hey, you can have it. We don't want it, right? Just like we did, right? We gave the, we, we've given up some words. The church gave the world the, the world the word gay, right? We gave it to them. We, we, we don't even use it anymore. Because they took it, right? Well, they done the same thing with us. They gave the word Bible to us because we don't even have to say Holy Bible anymore to distinguish it from. There used to be a Bible for guns to distinguish it from that, right? Same thing here. The word church ecclesia here is people who've been out called. So this word was used in all kinds of different settings. You would get called out to serve in the military, ecclesia, whatever. What's the difference? The difference is the one who's calling. That's the difference. What separates this word ecclesia here from the rest of it is the one who's doing the calling. We forgot, and that's what I want you to see with this passage, we forgot what a privilege it was for God to reveal His Son to us and call us out of darkness. We thought we did it. We thought we showed up and said, look what a good guy I am. Save me and I'll help you out, God. That's not how it happened. The Lord revealed to us His Son in due time. Our eyes were open. We ought to be on our face every day thanking God that He revealed His Son to us so that we could be saved and escape hell and live forever in heaven. We forgot. We forgot that being in this club ain't something we signed up for in VBS. It ain't something we signed to roll up. It's something that God opened our eyes. I can tell you the day God opened my eyes. I remember the day, God, when I was a child and the Lord opened my eyes and I went and found my mother and I said, I need to be saved. And she knew it as well as I did because I had my eyes open. I understood the difference between heaven and hell, the difference between right and wrong. I understood what it meant to be to sin. And that was when my eyes, Paul said, when the law came, sin come alive and I died. 
And when I was a young boy at home, that's what happened to me one day. The law came. I realized there was a right and wrong. It came as clear to me that morning. I'll never forget it. We lived in a mobile home at that time, and I remember getting up that morning and the Holy Spirit being so heavy on me as a young boy, and I knew the difference between right and wrong. I knew that God had a plan. I knew there was a heaven. I knew there was a hell. And I ran and found my mother weeping, saying I needed to be saved. The law came. Sin come alive, and I died that morning in that trailer because my accountability came to life. But I died and rose up a new creation in Jesus Christ. I didn't do that. I know my mother and father and, and people and around me, good Sunday school teachers, were sowing seed, but that was the Holy Spirit revealing His Son to me when I was a young boy. And I come running down the hall, that mobile home, looking for my mom because I knew she was, Dad was at work and I knew Mom would lead me to Christ. I knew that I would surrender my heart that day. What happened that day? The Holy Spirit revealed the Son to me. And I knew I needed Him as my Lord and Savior if I was going to escape what was here in this life. We should be appreciative every day for the day that the Holy Spirit revealed to us the difference between right and wrong and showed us the way of salvation. We shouldn't take that for granted at all. And Jesus said, I'm going to build my church on this revelation. So I'm going to call out people. I'm calling them out. And as I call them out, they're going to exist for me. I'm going to be their number one priority. Let me go uh, just a little bit further and then I'm going to close. <clears throat> Let's go to 1 Corinthians 6. I want to show you some of this before I quit. <clears throat> The church is not mine, it's not yours, it's not somebody's. It belongs to the Lord. And when the reason I didn't shut the church down back two years ago or however long it's been now is for two reasons. Number one, three reasons I should say. Number one, it belongs to God. The true church belongs to God. Number two, I didn't think any person, including anybody in authority, had the, had the authority to shut God's house down. Think about that for a minute. Some man has the authority to shut God's house down. That ain't happening. The third thing is, I don't even have the authority to shut his house down. And I wasn't going to step into that and play that role. This is not my church. It's not your church. It is his church. The church belongs to the Lord. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, <clears throat> let me show you a little passage here. This will kind of drive this point home. He talks about <clears throat> a sin, and he talks about sexual immorality here, but he takes us to somewhere we need to go. He says in verse 15, <clears throat> he says, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? These are people who are belong to the Lord. Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of a harlot? The answer to that is certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. That's how serious this is with God, right? But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. So he makes this comparison, right? That we can be one spirit with him when we're joined with him. Then he says, flee sexual immorality for every sin that man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Now that's a pretty powerful statement there because we know how rampant certain acts of the flesh can be from addictions and all that, but this one is probably doing more damage than all the other things combined. If you think about how sexual immorality runs its track into child trafficking, into all the sexual immorality that adults do, into pornography. You think about how many people are killed over stuff like that. This, this particular sin probably affects more of the world than any other, all other sins combined. He says, every sin that a man does is outside the body, but this is not. And he says, or do you not know? Now here's the point he's trying to drive home. 
Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? We're talking about people who've been called out. Who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own. Uh-oh. Wait a minute. I didn't know I was signing up for that. I didn't know God takes over my life when I step into this. He said, you are not your own, for you, are bought, you were bought at a price. For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are whose? God's. Now I'm not going to take you over there, but I'm going to read you, or I'm going to remind you in 1 Peter, he's talking about false prophets. And he talks about them being bought. Jesus bought the sins of the whole world. Not everybody accepts that, but he bought them all. Go over to the next chapter in 1 Corinthians. Now I'll close here in just a moment. Look at verse uh, 17. Now listen how he talks to these guys in this context. I want you to pay attention to how Paul's trying to get this thought across or the Holy Spirit. But as God has distributed each one, as the Lord has called each one, so let him walk. And so I ordained in all the churches. Was anyone called while circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. Was anyone called while uncircumcised? Let him not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing, but keeping the commandments of God is what matters. Wow. There's the true church. You could go. We could all go. I could go stand with a bunch of clergy this morning and I'd probably be in the middle of the road with how I'm dressed. Some would look far more righteous than I do. They would have on a, a lot more stuff that would make them stand out or set apart. Right or wrong, not here to discuss that. But none of that matters. What matters? We've watched in the last 30 years, we've watched some of the best dressed clergy go to prison. Because they weren't doing what mattered. Now I'm going to close here, but I'm going to try to be as somber as I can. Sobering. Are you doing what matters? Am I doing what matters? He says, he said, they were, he said none of that matters. He said, circumcision is nothing, uncircumcision is none of that. But keeping God's laws, what matters? Let each one remain in the same calling in which he was called. Were you called a slave? Do not be concerned about it. If you were made free, rather use it. For he who is called the Lord while he's a slave is the Lord's freed man. Likewise, he who is while he, uh, called while he's free is Christ's slave. Then he reemphasizes this. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. But that's what we've done. Do you know, this is how the flesh works. The flesh will build its whole day around a TV show. There are people like that. The flesh will build its whole trip around a specific place to eat. That's how the flesh works, right? You can start becoming a slave to this system. That's why I challenge you to get up every day and let God direct your day. Don't be so programmed that the Holy Spirit can't step in and say, hey, I'd like for you to do this today. I'd like for you to go here today. I'd like to be a part of what you're doing. I'd like for you to stop what you're doing here and go do this today. That's why we need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. What matters is whether we're going to do what Jesus teaches or not. That's what matters. Nothing else matters. I don't write the rules. I just hand them out. I don't, you know, that's why I can preach anything in here without fear or favor because it's not my ways. These are His ways. And I, in that context, I'm a sheep just like you are. Bah. I'm, try, I'm striving to keep God's word as well. That's the goal of my life. 
that's why Paul said to all of us, he said, especially clergy, he said, you can't preach and be a castaway. Right? I can't ask you all to tithe and not tithe. That's a lie. It's a joke. I'm a castaway, right? Whatever the situation is, I can't ask something of you if I'm not living it myself. And that's why children know when their parents are real or not in certain issues or areas because they know if they're living it. And that's what Jesus is asking us to do. He's asking us to be that group. Are you going to be that group? Am I going to be that group that focuses on what matters? Are we going to be the people? We're losing this as a, as a wide spectrum. We're living in a country now where the numbers of people who are serious about Jesus have dropped dramatically in the last 40 years. Are you going to be one of the holdouts that say, you know what, I'm going to stick with God. I'm going to stand with Jesus. I'm going to stay with His Word, even if it costs me friends, even if it costs me ridicule, whatever. I'm going to stick with Jesus and His Word. I'm laying my life on that, not everything else I see. That's what God's asking us to do. Many are going to destruction. Few are going to heaven. Straight and narrow is the way. Those people who belong to the Lord and get up and understand that and realize they exist for Him first, everything else falls in line after that. That's what it means to be a Christian. I'm challenging you, me, all of us, those who are watching us around the globe, those who get this podcast, what does it mean to be a Christian? It's got to be more than just going to a building throughout the week. It's got to be more than that. It's got to be that person who realizes they wouldn't be who they are without Him. That they belong to the Lord and they exist for Him first. doesn't mean you have to neglect anybody or do anybody wrong. It just means the Lord is first. And as I said, the more you pursue Him, the greater your capacity to love others and do for others comes. Let's stand our feet. Maybe you're here this morning and the devil's tried to get you to be subjective toward God and His Word. Uh, the Bible says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against powers, principalities. Some of that's governmental. It's rankings. It's demonic influences. But he tells us to get our armor on, right? In that same passage. Actually, there's a passage in the psalm that does the same thing. He tells us to get our armor on and then get our sword. In other words, you can't be a sissy and be a Christian. I didn't say every day is going to be easy. I'm just saying God's looking for people who won't quit. Do you want to be in a foxhole with somebody who's ready to quit every other day? Do you want to be in a foxhole in a war across the ocean with somebody who don't even want to pick up a gun? I don't. Don't put nobody in my foxhole that don't want to use a gun. We're in a battle. I wish I could tell you tomorrow it's all going to be good. You ain't going to face the devil or this week. But that's not how this works. God's looking for people who are committed to His Son that are so in love with Him and realize what's at stake that they're going to hang on to Him and His Word no matter what. That's who we're supposed to be. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank You. Maybe there are people, Lord, all over this building or watching us today. It's so easy, Lord, for us to become subjective and try and work these things out to fit us instead of us surrendering and fit, fitting You. Repenting and whatever else we need to do, Lord, to stay in fellowship with You. Lord, I don't have any stones to throw at Eve. Don't have one stone to throw at Eve or Adam. I've seen enough out of my own life to know I would have blown it too in the garden. I don't, I don't have any stones to throw at them. I don't have any stones to throw at anybody in this building or anybody watching. We don't pick up stones here. We know what it's like to be lost. We know what it's like to miss the mark, to sin. So we don't have any stones to throw. But nothing good 
will ever come out of us resisting your truth, your objectives, your law. Your co- Nothing good will ever come out of that for any of us. For me, for anybody on this platform, anybody in those chairs today, anybody watching, nothing good will come from us becoming subjective and making stuff fit us instead of us just coming and surrendering and saying, we want to fit your word, Lord. Do in us what needs to be done. Nothing good. So there are no stones to throw. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Sinners, each one to himself. But let us remember this morning as we open this altar, we've been bought with a price. You revealed your Son to us by your Spirit. We're not our own. We belong to you. And what we do or do not do represents you because we're telling the world we belong to you. So as we get ready to open this altar, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, we want to invite you to step out of your seat. Come surrender your life. You're not out of place here. We use these altars. That's what they're for. We all had to walk that aisle or walk down the hall of a mobile home one. You're free to come. Maybe you're here and you're a believer, but you've just been straddling the fence. One foot on this side and one foot on the other. It's time for you to make that move and change. Maybe you need rededicate. Maybe you need something different. Maybe you're the prodigal. Maybe you've been out there doing your own thing totally and it's time to come home. Time to come home. We've been watching people come home to Jesus the last few weeks. Today's your day. Maybe you're a Christian. You're starting to be subjective. You're starting to water down things. You're starting to say, well, that's okay because uh, forget that. Come back to the objectives. Come back to the Word. Come back to Jesus. Will you come as we worship? Come on. Don't wait on somebody else. Come on. It's your day.